0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the newest episode of the Going Long Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. We are a couple of days away from the Oregon versus USC game on Saturday night. That should be a fun one. I bring on Matt Zimmick, the USC beat writer for USA Today, to help me break down that game going forward, look at some of the ins and outs of the matchup, kind of get a deeper look into uh, What's been going on with USC this year and especially over the past week with Alex Grinch, their defensive coordinator, getting fired. The plan originally was to also have Oregon legend Jonathan Stewart on for this episode, but he actually had to uh, reschedule. So, Uh, We're going to hope to bring him on next week, talk about this game, talk about the Ducks season as a whole, a little bit of an outlook, um, and I want to get a deeper conversation with him about Bucky Irving and kind of what he's been doing at Oregon and what he projects to do at the next level as well. But we'll hope to get that next week. For now, we've got Matt this week to talk about the Trojans. um, And then after that interview, I'm going to hop back on and give some of my thoughts and a little bit of a preview and prediction for the game on Saturday. A lot of good stuff. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get into it. All right. Welcome in. We've got Matt Zimmick here, the managing editor of Trojans Wire, uh, here to talk about this entertaining matchup between Oregon and USC coming up. I don't say intense matchup. Um, I think a few weeks ago we would have described this one as intense, but it's more so just entertaining right now. So we brought Matt on to
1: talk with us. Matt, how are you doing today? Uh, you know, I'm doing okay. I mean, uh, you know, USC has three losses and is going to go to the Las Vegas or Sun Bowl, but Hey, you know, um, like the firing of Alex Grinch, like for a website editor, that is a pretty, uh, high traffic, uh, event. That's very good for business. And, uh, Caleb Williams crying, uh, also very good for business. So, so things could be worse. Like, You know, under Clay Helton, USC was just irrelevant. No one cared. It was just crickets. (laughs) So, you know, it's still very like there's never a dull moment at USC, even in the worst moments under Lincoln Riley. It's never dull. So, like, my job is interesting. But under Clay Helton, it was just a nightmare because, like, no one cared what the coach said. No one cared what the coach did. Everyone just wanted to move on. And... You know, now with Alex Grinch being fired, there's an actual hope that USC can be really, really good. And we're obviously waiting to see how Lincoln Riley and Athletic Director Jen Cohen handle this very important defensive coordinator search. It's going to be a very interesting time.
0: Yeah, and like you said, as, as someone who can see your, uh, your site numbers, uh, I, I'm sure you're having a, at least a good time over there. Uh, it's, it's been a lucrative month so far, so congratulations on that. It's the only
1: realm in which USC is beating Oregon right now. (laughs) Yeah, but not by much. (laughs) And yeah, you're probably, and and of course, yeah, you get the ball next. So you're going to take the lead, I think, (laughs) after next weekend. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see.
0: I want to start with this. So what has this year been like for you as someone who covers the team and just for a USC fan in general? Obviously, there was a lot of very high expectations coming into the year. You've got the reigning Heisman winner. You've got Lincoln Riley. You've got a quote-unquote improved defense. Um, That's what people expected to see at least. What's it been like, this kind of slow downfall, I guess, and then kind of a drop-off over the past few weeks, both from your perspective and then how the USC fans have viewed it as well?
1: Yeah, so you know, I do a USC YouTube show every week uh at, at another outlet and um after it was really between the Colorado and Arizona games you know September 30 October 7 when you know it it was it was a dynamic Zach where you know like there was the there was the off week on September 16 then USC comes out against Arizona State on September 23rd and plays a sloppy game and you're thinking all right these guys are bored and they had the week off that disrupted their rhythm and, you know, you have a lot of moving parts and also re- you'll remember, Zach, USC's playing nine straight games after that off week on September 16th. So there was a need to not overload the starters and you needed to rotate lots of guys in so that this team would be fresh for the back end of the schedule. This loaded sequence against Notre Dame on October 14, Utah on October 21, the Washington game and this upcoming Oregon game, the coaching staff. Was appropriately not overextending this team, not pushing it too hard, simply because this team needed to stay fresh for the long haul for a 12 game grind. That all of that was important. But in the midst of, you know, rotating bodies in and out and, and uh, d- distributing the workload widely, which was necessary, there also needed to be a real sense that. Jobs were being won, that the ones were separating themselves from the twos on the depth chart, that guys were taking ownership of starting positions, particularly on defense, but also on the offensive line. And so, you know, so the Arizona State game being ragged coming off uh, after a week off. All right. You know, guys are bored. They're playing the low end of the Pac-12. You know, they're conserving energy. They're conserving their mental focus for that back end of the schedule against the really good opponents. But then when the Colorado second half implosion happened and a 27 point lead was whittled down to 7 and then the next week, you know, against Arizona falling behind 17 nothing early, not being prepared to play, once again USC was extremely lucky to beat Arizona that night and I know Arizona's become a much different team in the month since then and we're looking at that game a little bit differently. But nevertheless, USC was not ready to play against Arizona the week after the Colorado game. And after that Colorado game, Zach, Bryson Shaw, the USC safety, said in a very impassioned speech, this is not Alex Grinch's fault. We, the players, are letting him down. This is not Grinch's fault. So in that Arizona game, the week after Bryson Shaw made that defense of Alex Grinch, you would think that the Trojans, especially on defense, but really the whole team, would have been ready to just come out and make a statement and say, this is who we are. We're an elite team. That What happened against Colorado when we got careless in the second half, that's not us. We are an elite team. We're going to put our foot down. We're going to win this game authoritative, authoritatively. When USC was not prepared to play against Arizona, that was the first really big alarm bell, Zach, for me. Because, you know, Arizona State was a wake-up call. Colorado was a wake-up call. Well, you know, if, if every game is a wake-up call and you're not waking <laughs> up, then you're not that good. And so the, really yeah. it, that Arizona game told me, uh-oh, this team's heading for a string of losses. After that Arizona game, even though USC was 6-0, and I downgraded on, on my uh, USC YouTube show, I downgraded my prediction for the season from 11-1 and to 10-2. and and here we are with three losses. I actually, I thought that uh, I thought that uh, you know USC would lose to to Washington and Oregon for sure. Wasn't sure about. I actually thought USC would beat Notre Dame because we and we've seen Notre Dame's offense is not that good. Notre Dame gained only 253 yards against USC, but that was the game in which the offensive line for USC capitulated, which is absolutely horrible. Caleb Williams throwing three first half interceptions, but. Like I did think after the Arizona game that USC was going to lose twi- at least twice. Um, like when when you don't wake up, uh, you, like then games aren't wake up calls. They are revealers of who and what uh, you are. And USC, Zach, as you probably can tell, USC is soft. I mean that that's it's a harsh verdict, but it's entirely accurate. That is exactly what the Trojans are. They are Charmin tissue. Uh, they they do not punch you in the mouth. They do not uh, make you feel their force. I mean, they have great skill players, as we all know, Caleb Williams, the receivers, Marshawn Lloyd, but they are soft. They're a soft team. And that really came across, uh, you know, in those games against Colorado and Arizona. Uh, and that just set the stage for then the losses that actually happened. And of course, as you know, at Oregon, like you shut down Bryson Barnes, like as any responsible team should, you know, you, you, you put the pig farmer out to pasture, but USC made Bryson Barnes look like, you know, take your pick Vince Young, Michael Vick, uh, you know, any, any other dynamic dual threat quarterback, like, you know, Bryce, Bryson Barnes outrunning you know, three or four guys at the second level for that 26 yard scamper late in the game. Uh, to set up the winning field goal when, you know, if USC allows like an eight-yard run in that situation, Utah still has to kick a 55-yard field goal to win that game. But no, he runs for 26 yards with USC defenders running around like headless horsemen, uh, no no ball awareness, no gap integrity. You know, the pass rushers are just running straight up the field, taking themselves out of the play instead of reminding themselves to, you know, prevent the opposing quarterback from getting a rushing lane uh, up the field. You know, so these guys are just so poorly coached. They're not lazy, but they just don't have a clue what they're doing and they're soft. <clears throat> and so that that's really the, ev- the, the evolution, or I should, should say the reverse or inverse evolution uh, of this USC team this season. So, elephant in the room is Alex Grinch obviously for Oregon fans who
0: knew all year that us defense USC's defense was bad and that the tackling was poor could you just go into a little bit of detail on how bad it really was and why getting rid of Grinch is was absolutely the right move for this team
1: you know I think the visual of seeing Caleb Williams sobbing you know with his parents uh, you know behind a cover uh, on national TV like, that was just, that was a visceral, very raw, real moment. And, and Caleb Williams, you know, Heisman Trophy winner, coming back for USC. And the the theme, the theme among the fan base and the boosters and, and the people who really care about USC football was, let's not squander one more season of Caleb Williams, the most talented quarterback to ever play for USC by a large margin. You know, Matt Leinart has the national titles, but he had a Pete Carroll defense. And Reggie Bush and Lendale White. He had all the pieces around him. Caleb Williams was having to do things himself, right? You know, trying to win these 42-39, 49-42, 50-49 shootouts almost every week. And so for the U.S. for USC fans, and and then also for people just watching across the country, Saturday night against Washington, like like Caleb Williams was reduced to tears because Alex Grinch didn't have a friggin' clue. How to coach defense. Alex Grinch wasted, uh, and also Lincoln Riley because he retained Alex Grinch for this season instead of getting an elite defensive coordinator. They wasted Caleb Williams' final season at USC. And that just drove home the point that, you know, if you retain Alex Grinch one moment longer, you are just not serious about winning. You're not serious about having USC football. At the highest level, the power of that image and the power of just the reality that the Heisman Trophy winner was reduced to tears after playing a great game. I mean, USC offense was fantastic in this game and yet still lost by 10 points because their defense couldn't stop, couldn't catch a cold, couldn't stop a, a, a fly on a windowsill, couldn't couldn't stop a, a dandelion in the meadow. Uh, pick, pick your image. Um, you know, that just drove home the point. We, we can't have this anymore. Uh, and, and you know, like simp- in that Washington game, you, you were able to uh, uh, w- watch at least a little bit of it because Oregon played a couple hours earlier. I mean, after you, your uh, post-game coverage of the Cal game, you certainly saw late in that game uh, a simple pitch play for Washington to yeah. get 30, 40, 50 yards. I mean, it's not as though Kalen DeBoer went deep into the grab bag you know, for these wrinkles or exotics. No, it's just pitch the ball. And, well, and uh, I saw that I saw the stat that uh,
0: Washington's, right, it was Dylan Johnson, right? Had 199 yards before contact. On the That's just contact. <laughs> insane. So that leads me to my question. So now that Alex Grinch is gone, what changes immediately? Do you expect anything to change this week? Do we see anything different? Do we see... You know, even if it's a little bit more image or more energy from the team, I and mean, we saw the the Las Vegas Raiders this last week look really good. Now that their head coach is gone and they were under an interim coach that they believed in, do we see a little bit of that type of thing from this USC defense? Do you expect to see that at least this week?
1: Well, one of the big central knocks on Alex Grinch is that he tried to fit players uh, into his scheme instead of adjusting his scheme his overall approach to fit the players, right? And that's the, a central mark of good coaching. You, you tailor what you do to your talent instead of demanding that your talent adhere and conform to what you want to do personally as, as a me- measure of your football aesthetic, your football preference. And one of the things that a lot of observers noticed was that you know USC defensive players. They were checking their wristbands. They were trying to figure out plays before before uh, you know before uh, Washington came up to the line of scrimmage. You know that's usually something that an offensive player might do. or something that a quarterback might do. As a defensive player, it should just be read and react, right? Like you shouldn't be looking at a wristband or what's this play? What's this formation? So he get, he overloaded his players with. Complexity, and he didn't just turn them loose and say, "Hey, just go play football." This is this is the formation. This is what you read. This is this is how you react. And so the the basic thing that's going to change is you're probably going to see just an extremely simple scheme and approach from uh, this interim staff. Uh, like I don't think it it matters which guys replaced Grinch. Just the, the overall effect. Whoever replaced him. On an interim basis for this oregon game it's just going to be hey just go out there and play read and react you know we're, we're not going to make it complicated don't get bogged down in uh all sorts of what ifs tangents uh other considerations Simpl- simplify the scheme just play football that that's going to be the general approach uh you the interim staff certainly can't reinvent the wheel in terms of like taking Grinch's complexities and maybe putting a tweak uh, or a wrinkle on them. No, it's just gonna be dressing, removing all that uh, complexity and just say, hey, go at it, attack, be aggressive, uh, you know, enjoy just getting after the quarterback, just trying to make plays. Uh, it's really gonna be a simple scheme. that's the, I think that we can say with, Relative confidence. Now, how it manifests itself, um, you know, we, we don't really know. But like, it, it's not as though any of these problems uh, can be fixed. And that's one thing that's definitely in Oregon's column heading into this game. Let, let's imagine, Zach, that we lived in a world where uh, Grinch got fired after the Utah game, which he could have. Like that was embar- that was plenty embarrassing uh, in its own right. You know, getting roasted by a pig farmer. Um, you know, that was October 21. That would have given USC three weeks to simplify and adjust for this Oregon game, but this is one week. Like, you, you, no matter, I don't care if Vince Lombardi was taking over the USC defense this week, that's not enough time to make real world significant adjustments for all of Oregon's fabulous skill players, and most centrally a really, really good offensive line. Like that's the other thing, that USC is a soft team. Uh, it's it, 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 it does not play rugged, manly, physical football in the trenches. Um, there's only so much that a, that a new staff can do uh, in one week. Uh, if this change had happened several weeks earlier, maybe, maybe we could begin to have a discussion about USC really being able to throw a curveball at Oregon, but under this set of circumstances, I don't think so.
0: So we talked already. I was on your podcast this week, and we talked about how there's a lot at stake, at least for Oregon in this game. When you talk about just the, you know, the ability to make a statement in this game, there will be a lot of recruits at this game, uh, national TV, late night game. Um, first time these two teams have met since 2020, we know how Oregon is entering this game. We know what a big deal it is on their side, on the fan side. How do you think USC fans enter this game? Obviously USC players want to go in and win. That's, that's how they're built. They're going to do that every week. Are USC fans bought in at this point or are they more on to basketball season thinking that this season is already a wash? And like you said earlier, I don't remember if that was on this podcast or your podcast. They're basically playing for a spot in the Las Vegas bowl at this
1: point. Yeah, they are playing for a spot in the Las Vegas bowl. And boy, Zach, you know, I, I think your culture up in Eugene, your sports culture you know the, the ducks are the main thing. Like people certainly aren't wild about the Trailblazers, right? And you don't have major <laughs> hey baseball. hey hey hey. You don't have the we, NHL. We love our Blazers here. We love our Blazers. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, uh, they're they're headed for a rough ride this season, and you don't have Dame time anymore either. Yeah, so like Oregon football, Oregon football is the thing, and of course you know Oregon basketball, great win against Georgia. Um, you know Dana Allman probably is going to get his team back to the NCAA tournament. Like, you, you guys love Oregon anything. USC, It's the culture's still football. Like, my basketball stories on, you know, Isaiah Collier and Juju Watkins, number one recruits in the country, men and women, eh, crickets, crickets. Yep, not not a strange. huge response to that, you know? Like, the, the, the fans still think USC's a football school, but I'm trying to pump USC up as a basketball school uh, right now, but without much success. USC fans to, to, to bring this back to football, USC fans just want an elite defensive coordinator. That's what they want. That's where they are. That's what they're thinking about. That's the whole ball game right now. And you know, I like it Zach, this doesn't make for great scintillating podcasting on scoing long, but I have to be honest, right? Like you don't you don't want to say things if they're not true, right? Uh, I'd love to say that, oh, USC thinks it can really punch back at Dan Lanning this week and get on even terms in recruiting in the transfer portal. Nah, it's just it's just it's just not there. USC is going to take the L, going to going to going to probably eat a very decisive loss. And in the short term, that does mean that Oregon and Lanning are, are poised to make significant continued gains relative to USC on the trail and in the portal. And really what what matters for USC is nailing this defensive coordinator higher. Because there is a a, a a strain of thought, and I think there's a lot to it that you know USC lost out on some local linebackers. So one particular example Kingston Viliamu Asa, KVA for short. He went to Notre Dame. A lot of people he's from St. St. John Bosco In Southern California, one of the elite high school programs in the country, along with modern day, other powerhouse programs in Southern California. A lot of USC fans think if Alex Grinch wasn't at USC and the Trojans had a really good defensive coordinator, KVA would have stayed home. And so if you get the the right defensive coordinator, someone who commands respect, unlike Alex Grinch, USC will begin to retain those St. John Bosco, modern day linebackers and safeties and corners instead of watching them go to other uh, top programs across the country so if you're a usc fans of the mindset that you know this season's a failure oregon's going to trounce us let's just get the defensive corner and when you think about it like that is what usc can realistically achieve right like thinking that you're going to go into aughtson and win under these circumstances It really does feel like a pipe dream, not just for me, but for the fan base as well. Hiring a defensive coordinator who commands respect. That's the thing. And and one thing to note, Zach, you know, the the fact that USC doesn't play on Thanksgiving uh, because of a quirk in the schedule and USC went into the season hoping if we get to the Pac-12 title game, Uh, then we're going to have the week off before it. And that will be an advantage in the PAC 12 championship game. Well, USC is not going to make that PAC 12 title game, but now that week off, it means that, you know, with the season ending for USC on November 18, the Trojans can in fact get a leg up on other programs across the country in in hiring an elite defensive coordinator. USC will be able to line up interviews sooner than other programs and, with the transfer portal window for December opening on December 4th, if USC gets that defensive coordinator position filled, you know, around Thanksgiving last week of November, that could be the thing that mitigates significant losses in recruiting and in the portal relative to Dan Lanning in Oregon. So in other words, USC by hiring an elite defensive coordinator in a timely manner That's going to do more than anything else in terms of uh, being competitive with Oregon uh, in the portal and on the trail. This Saturday is not going to be the avenue through which to do that. It's going to be hiring a defensive coordinator.
0: Well, with all that said, let's let's look forward to 2025, I believe, is the next time that these two teams will play each other and hope that we get a little bit more scintillating conversation and uh, a better matchup going forward. We're going to wrap it up there. Matt, thank you so much for coming on and talking about the Trojans with us and kind of breaking down this matchup a little bit. Uh, if you don't follow Matt on Twitter, I encourage you to do so. Follow all of his coverage at Trojans Wire. They do a great job covering uh usc football and specifically usc basketball coming up as well they've got a really good men's and women's team going forward uh, with a, a lot of hype around them going into the year especially with Bronny james that's a fun story to, to follow so uh, matt thank you again for coming on i will talk to you i'm sure several times later this week as we continue to cover this um, entertaining not uh intense game on saturday afternoon matt thank you
1: Uh, Thank you, and I think Oregon is going to be scowing long for a lot of splash plays against (laughs) USC this Saturday. Well
0: done, sir. Well done. All right, thanks. Real quick, I just want to briefly touch on the college football playoff rankings. Nothing really changed for the Ducks this past week. They're still number six in the latest rankings that came out. Um, There's been a growing debate now uh, based on resumes whether Oregon should be number six or number seven or number eight. Um, You know, where they should be among those one loss teams. Some people are arguing that Texas and Alabama, who are currently seven and eight, have, you know, a better resume and they should be ranked higher than Oregon because you look at Oregon's strength of schedule and strength of record. The best team they've beat is Utah. Um, unfortunately because of the way that Colorado and Washington state have kind of fallen off a little bit those are no longer looked at as very good wins and it's you know it's pretty hard to argue about that i i think that yeah you've got that utah win that looks pretty good but utah's also you know you can see the flaws in their game especially offensively um you know it would have been a really big opportunity still is a big opportunity this weekend against usc but the trojans are also no longer ranked i mean they're not the number uh, 20 team in the nation that they were last week, uh, when Washington beat them. So I think that even a win against USC this weekend, uh, a potential win, I should say, uh, does not would not look as strong as it potentially could have. Um, you know, even a few weeks ago. So, uh, at this point in the season, with the rankings coming out coming out each week, you get into the conversation about resumes and you stack up these teams compared to each other. Um, It's not a foregone conclusion that if Oregon wins out, wins the Pac-12 championship, uh, it's not a foregone conclusion that they get into the playoff. There's a very good uh, chance, a very real possibility that they are stacked up against a one loss Texas or a one loss Alabama who could be a, you know, a big 12 or an SEC champion. So um, there's, there's a lot of rooting interests going down over these uh, these next few weeks. Uh, we'll detail that this next week, um, after some of these games this weekend and kind of figure out, Hey, who does Oregon need to be looking at? Who is Oregon rooting for? Who are they rooting against? Um, how do you kind of strengthen that resume and hope that others will fall around you? So, um, that's that, but, Looking specifically at this weekend, um, I've written about it a lot this week. I know I've talked a little bit about it. I, I'm i not too worried about this game. I know that USC's got an elite offense. Obviously, the reigning Heisman winner with Caleb Williams. They're really good on offense, and they can score points. I mean, with the best defense they went up against was Utah's, and Utah's got a very good defense. They put, I believe it was 32 points on them. So we know that even against good defenses that USC could score. And while I think that Oregon's defense is probably the best that USC will see this year or will have seen this year, I'm still expecting them to be able to put up twenty to thirty points. The the benefit for Oregon is I think they could easily put up fifty on USC's defense. I mean, we saw last week, we saw last week Washington's offense put up fifty-two on USC's defense. We saw Utah's offense, which was, you know. All due respect to Utah, not the best in the conference. They put up 34 on Utah or on USC, so I, I have no concern that Oregon's going to be able to score. This is going to be a high scoring game. The over under has been set at 74 and a half, I believe. Um, I would be inclined to take the over. It's just it's going to be a question of how many points Oregon gives up because. I don't see any way that the Trojans are going to hold them under forty or fifty points, um, you know, at the minimum. I think this could be a really high-scoring game. So, um, at the moment, when I'm looking at my score prediction, I'm I don't have it completely locked in right now. Um, I'm leaning towards Oregon fifty-six. USC twenty eight. Um, again, I don't think it's going to be a super close game. I think Oregon's going to Oregon is going to be able to score as much as they want, and I I feel encouraged about the defense too because you know USC's offense is really good. But like I said, this is going to be the best defense they've played all year. Um, and you know, as you heard earlier talking to Matt, I don't think that the Trojans are as amped up for this game as they might have been a couple of weeks ago. And I think that could, the same can be said about the fans as well. I don't, I don't know that there's a ton of confidence down in Los Angeles as that team travels up to Eugene. So regardless of the outcome, it's going to be an entertaining game. It's going to be a very fun one. I think a lot of highlights, a lot of points to be scored. Um, but it's, it's going to be one to watch in the last time we play them until 2025 as members of the Big Ten. So that'll be worth watching. That's going to do it for us today. Uh, The plan is to come back. It's definitely not going to be Saturday night when I get a podcast out, considering that 7.30 kick, I won't be leaving Austin until well after midnight, after interviews and everything are done. So, um, I'll get a podcast out some point on Sunday. Um, We'll see. Uh, There's going to be a lot of writing to do on Sunday morning. I'll probably record on Sunday afternoon. We get that out Sunday night or early Monday. We'll see how that goes, but Uh, that's the loose plan right now. Thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at duckswire.usatoday.com. Follow me at Zachary C. Neil on Twitter. I will talk to you guys this weekend after the game. Until then, take it easy.